Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bowling. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. See you high lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing, holy, holy. everybody. Our gospel reading this morning is from the gospel of Matthew, the fourth chapter. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon 
called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, the world of the first century, the time when Jesus walked and talked on earth, was very different from 21st century America. We have a president. Other people have dictators. But in that land, it wasn't ruled by a dictator, but by three dictators. First of all, there was King Herod Antipas, who ruled over much of the area, including Galilee and the Jordan Valley and points east of the river. He was the youngest son of King Herod the Great, and he was often known as Herod the Tetrarch because he ruled a quarter of his father's former kingdom. Next, there was the Roman proconsul, the military governor Pontius Pilate, who ruled Roman Judea, which included the former areas of Judea, which is the area around Jerusalem, and Samaria, that's the former area of the northern kingdom of Israel, and Idumea, which is the area south of Judea towards Samaria, towards Sinai. His capital, Pilate's capital, was on the coast at Caesarea Maritima. And finally, there was the Roman emperor, Augustus Caesar. He was the nephew of Julius Caesar, and he was based in Rome, and he ruled at this time lands extending from Spain and Portugal up the coast through France and Belgium, across Europe to Turkey, and all the lands that touched the Mediterranean Sea, Egypt and Palestine and Syria. He was Herod and Pontius Pilate's boss. And he had the authority to remove them from office or even have them killed. Those were the three main dictators, but yet there was still another power in the land. This was the high priest of Jerusalem, the head of God's temple, Joseph ben Caiaphas. Annas, his father-in-law, had served as high priest until the, Roman, or the Romans got tired of him and appointed three other men in succession and finally put Caiaphas in charge. To devout Jews, Annas was still the high priest, for the high priest was appointed by God from a line of men dating back to Aaron, Moses' brother. Yet Caiaphas effectively ruled Jerusalem because the Romans backed his authority. And you can see on the map there those different areas where the different uh, men in the area ruled. But there was another man. He was the most dangerous man in Palestine, John the Baptist. Herod Antipas, you see, got tired of his wife, and he divorced her. He soon married Herodias, who formerly had been married to his half-brother, Herod II. And according to the Jewish historian Josephus, Herodias scandalously divorced her first husband. 
And her marriage to Herod Antipas was widely thought to be even more scandal. John the Baptist preached loudly against this marriage because she had married her first husband's brother while he was still alive. The divorce and remarriage and the marriage to a brother, uh, that, was, that was beyond the pale in, that do, in those days. John preached about that. When you live in a land where your freedoms are not protected by independent courts, everything you say can potentially get you in big trouble. Herod Antipas had John arrested because of the things John the Baptist had said about his wife. Well, the Apostle John gives us some more background on this time. He tells us that the day after Jesus' baptism, John and Andrew and Peter had met Jesus and spoke with him for hours after John the Baptist had pointed him out to them. The three fishermen had become followers of John the Baptist, and they were impressed with his cousin Jesus, whom John had called the Lamb of God. And soon after this, Jesus performed the wedding at Cana, where he changed water into wine, and then he went into the desert wilderness where he was tested by the devil. A while later, after John the Baptist was arrested for talking about King Herod's wife and was put into prison, Jesus decided that staying in the south near King Herod was not such a good plan, and so he returned to Capernaum. It's a small market town near the Sea of Galilee in the north of the country. It was located in the ancient tribal lands of the tribe of Zebulun and the tribe of Naphtali. And so Matthew points us back to our reading from Isaiah 9. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali. The way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the, of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That light was Jesus. You see, at that point, Jesus began to preach. And what was his core message? It's not what you think. It was repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. The Greek word metanoia is used. Literally, metanoia means to rethink. But what are we to rethink? We're to rethink our core beliefs about God. Does God exist? Does God pay attention to each of us? Is God looking to punish us for our sins? Or is God looking to rescue us from our sins? What does God want of us? The people of that day can be forgiven for having a fearful view of God because every ruler they had ever known was vicious and cruel and ready to punish people for the slightest stepping out of line, even put people to death who questioned their authority. For, you see, our lives and our backgrounds can make us cynical, particularly of people we don't know well or who knew, and, you know, who knew God well. Not many people in those days. One of the movies Sandra and I love to watch at Christmas time is White Christmas, where Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye are a couple of army friends turned entertainers who meet up with Rosemary Clooney and Vera Ellen, who have a sister act. As they're meeting, Crosby's character Bob, cynicism, comes across when he says that everybody has an angle. To Crosby's character, 
No one is sincere, but everybody's just trying to advance their career or make money. And you know, that comes back to haunt him later in the movie. As Rosemary Clooney's character believes that Crosby's character is doing something which appears nice, but it's simply for the publicity value, even though Bob is actually trying to be very nice to a friend. So many people today are cynical, not trusting anyone. We get cynical of the people at work. We get cynical of the people we're employed by. We think that everybody at higher management is out to get us. We get afraid of God's punishment. We're fearful of, other, of people and of God because we've seen too many people in politics, for example, who are there for the power of the money. I've been told by too many other people that God will get you. And so people stay away from God. They avoid church. They don't trust people. You know, people who attend church even sit in the back of the church because there's this deep-seated fear of God, not a healthy fear, but a fear that runs deep that comes from our days when our earthly fathers were the punishers. And so our Heavenly Father must also be ready to punish us because that's what rulers and fathers and politicians like to do, right? The police pull us over. Why? To punish us, not to warn us that our rear tire is about ready to fall off. And so God must be ready. God must be ready to punish us too, ready to blast us into hell. And God can't be nice enough to just give us a warning so we'll have a better life, right? That's what most people think. But that's the core of repent, of metanoia. We need to change our deep-seated beliefs about God because the kingdom of heaven has come near. With John the Baptist and now with Jesus walking the earth, God's kingdom has moved into the time and the world of Herod, of Pilate, of Augustus Caesar, and of Caiaphas the high priest. Today the kingdom of heaven is near in America, and it's moving into places like China and India and Africa, even into North Africa and the Middle East. Many people are accepting Christ, and other people are scared of God. But most importantly for us, the kingdom of heaven is right here today. And so we have a need to rethink our relationship with that kingdom. Which rulers shall we follow? Shall we follow the people on television who tell us how to think, what to buy, what to wear, how to vote, who to like and who to hate? Or will we catch ourselves walking behind all those little would-be rulers of our lives listening intently to the commercials, the sound bites, the talking heads on television, the postings on Facebook, all those people who want us to follow them? Or will we rethink our relationship with the ruler of the kingdom of heaven, which has come near to us, and learn what God truly asks of us? Jesus chose to walk beside the Galilean lake, and that day there were two sets of brothers fishing, Peter and Andrew were casting their nets and James and John were preparing their nets in their father's boat and Jesus spoke to all four of them and told them to follow him. Notice that Jesus did not say, believe that I'm the son of God. No, that day he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The son of God stuff came later. So those 
four men began the great adventure that would occupy them the rest of their lives. Now, can you imagine the work of a net fisherman on Galilee? The lake's about six miles wide and eight miles long. It's not a big lake. The fish that lived there were mostly what we would call whitefish or tilapia today, maybe a pound or two each. They'd hit, the, the fishermen would head out at night, they'd put a lantern on their small boats to attract the fish, and then they'd throw those nets that were composed of heavy, heavy fibers and thin ropes into the water, leaving the nets sit for a while, and then they'd pull up the nets with their backs and arms. These weren't fishing trawlers with electric winches like we see today, and they sure weren't bass boats with comfortable seats where a man casts a lure and drinks a beer while waiting for a bite from a 20-pound largemouth bass. No, this was heavy, back-breaking work. The algae and plants from the bottom stuck in the rope and the fibers. It wasn't a clean monofilament line that they worked with. All that junk weighted the nets down and had to be cleaned out by hand. And for what? The biggest catch ever recorded in the Bible by these fishermen were 168 fish. And many nights they didn't catch anything. And when they did catch, they sold the fish in the market right beside their competition. So we know they didn't make much money from the fish. But these men, they were interested in finding out more about God and the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wasn't the first teacher they had followed. At least three of them were hanging around John the Baptist as his disciples, his students, his followers. But these four became the closest followers of Jesus. Simon must have been strong because Jesus nicknamed him Cephas, which translates into the Greek as Petros, and the English as Peter, all of which actually mean rock. His brother Andrew was always bringing people to, to meet Jesus. And John was studious. He had excellent Greek and he knew the high priest's family. James joined Peter and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. And eventually he became an apostle to Spain. Now you may remember that in every classroom there are some students who are really into learning everything from the teacher. These four were those students with Jesus. Matthew tells us that Jesus and his disciples, it is assumed, they went traveling to all the synagogues in Galilee, preaching about the kingdom of heaven and healing people. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, back in ancient Palestine, many, many of the rabbis or teachers had followers. There were some who, like the fans of Michael J. Smith or Mandisa, or the Statler brothers, or the Kingsmen, would go to listen to the rabbi speak whenever he came to their town. And there were fans that would maybe travel a day's walk to hear a rabbi speak, like fans of Michael Buble, or Willie Nelson, or Alan Jackson. And then there were those who were actually totally committed fans, like fans of the Grateful Dead, or Elvis in the day or the Beatles, fans and followers and even groupies who took every opportunity to follow their rabbi around and follow him all over the country. But there was a bit more to it. A top rabbi, you see, he didn't stay in a single location teaching in a particular classroom or preaching in a particular synagogue. No, the best rabbis walked around the Holy Land. And that is what Jesus did 
And so when Jesus came to town, he had his dozen core followers, the men we call the disciples, and the New Testament often calls the Twelve. They followed him around, literally followed him around. And there was also, though, a group of about a hundred other followers, men and women, who could not get enough of what Jesus had to say. Even in the core group, even in those twelve core disciples, there was that central group, Peter, John, James, and Andrew. And you find these four almost always in the Gospel stories. And of them all, Peter was a star student. He's always beside Jesus asking the dumb questions. He's always the most enthused, ready to do anything, and he's always getting knocked down the most by Jesus. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus yells at Peter once, because Peter always ran ahead. But Peter, by staying so close to Jesus, was also the first one to recognize that Jesus was the Son of God in the flesh. And Peter by spending the most time with Jesus, he learned faster than the rest. How much time you put into it determines how much you learn. Several times in the Gospels, we see Jesus speaking to someone or healing people, and then he takes aside his disciples, who were right there with him, and explains a few things. Following Jesus gave them extra time. Maybe he had, he had told a parable to the crowd, which most of the crowd missed, then Jesus pulls aside the disciples, and in response to a question from them, he explains the parable to them so they can explain it to others. And today, we still see this form of teaching. If you, you look at the out-of-classroom teaching that's used by the medical profession, at Ruby Memorial up in Morgantown, the teaching doctor walks down the hall several times a week, and he's stepping in and visiting his patients. And with him are his students. Maybe a couple, maybe a group of about a dozen. They crowd into the patient's room and they listen to the doctor speak with the patient and watch him examine the patient. Then they all go back into the hallway and the teaching doctor explains why he had asked certain questions and then questions are asked by the students and answered. This method is used because it's the best way to make new doctors and Jesus used this method because it's the best way to make new Christs. Christians. Do you remember that Peter walked on water? We always remember Jesus walking on water. But you see, Jesus had faith that Peter could also walk on water, and he did. He did walk on water until his faith faded. You see, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, and our biggest failure with, as Christians today is that we don't understand the faith that Jesus places in us and the ability of people to learn and do things. We think because we learned something new last week in the sermon, we think that we're incapable, we're not ready to teach Christianity to others. But Jesus has a strong faith in us. After all, he did not stay on earth for very long after his resurrection. Forty days later and he was gone. He trusted his disciples and the disciples of disciples to transmit the truth of the gospel and convert the people of the planet. And we've been pretty good at it. It's taken 2,000 years, but today Christianity is the largest religion on the planet. About 2 billion people claim to be Christians today. And in every country on earth, every week, there are new people who believe and repent and are baptized. 
Jesus' faith in us was not misplaced. Just last Sunday, five kids joined the kingdom. Right here. Now I want you to imagine what could happen in this town if every person in this congregation made a simple commitment and understood the faith that Jesus has in you. That commitment is to learn everything about Jesus that we can and then begin teaching other people what we already know about Jesus. Teach to other people, not necessarily in large groups or even in small groups, but in one-on-one discussions with your friends, with neighbors, five minutes at the grocery store, quick bits relayed during coffee breaks, five minutes between classes, ten minutes to our grandchildren. Little bits and pieces begin teaching. We would learn so much about Jesus because teaching is the best way to learn. And we'd be spreading the gospel like crazy. For following Jesus means more than believing in Jesus. It means more than coming to church. Following Jesus means that we do the things Jesus did. We read scripture and then we explain it to others. We help people heal. Sometimes physically, but more often we help people heal through teaching about forgiveness through listening to them, through a few wise words that direct people away from the bitter drink of hatred toward the sweet nectar of pity and compassion. How many times does somebody come to you just really torn up and angry at people where they work? You can teach them about forgiveness and how that helps. So many people are hurting. So many people are ashamed of their actions. So many people are afraid to tell others about how they've messed up because so many people prefer fighting and pride and being tough to gentleness and love and humbleness. Imagine what people will say about you if you listen to them and share words of wisdom to help them heal from their scars. Imagine what people will say about you if you generously give of your time and your listening ears, your hugs and your special talents and your treasure. And imagine what would happen if we all did this so much with our neighbors and friends and relatives and acquaintances that we here at this church developed a reputation for doing this. So pray for God to send you people to help You you really think he would ignore that prayer? And there's plenty of people out there that need help. You know something that's really exciting about this idea? We don't need anything special to do this. We don't need a strong back and we don't need a bunch of money. We don't even need other people working with us. We just need to talk and listen or listen and talk. It's something where each one of us can make a tremendous difference in the world simply by ourselves, by meeting people, by speaking of God in Christ. We always have to talk about God in Christ. We listen to the people's hearts and we listen to their dreams and we give wise, godly advice, which you know is often just pointing the other person to Jesus for help. And we pray with people, not for people, but with people. Some of you have done this for decades, and others are just now getting started. The important thing that we often forget to do is to give Jesus the credit when someone thanks us. But that's easy to remember. We just have to get our pride out of the way. 
five simple points to remember about following Jesus, and I've put it on your, your handout there today. First of all, meet people. We actually have to meet people. Second, we have to speak of God in Christ. We can't just let them assume, otherwise they'll just say, well, you're a nice person. We have to listen to them. And we have to give wise, godly advice and pray with people. And then finally, we have to give that credit to Jesus. Yeah, I know I seem nice, but it's because Jesus asked me to be nice. Oh yeah, you'll probably need to study your scripture and discuss them with other disciples, but aren't we already doing that? I hope so. We already have our Wednesday evening 7 p.m. Bible discussion group. I'd like to start a weekday daytime study also, so please let Donna or myself know when you could make it and if you'd like to get involved. So move from simply believing in Jesus to actively following Jesus and imitating him. Do as he would do. And right now, let's sing where he leads, I will follow. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.